My guest for this week's episode of the Blind Broadcaster Podcast is the current men's basketball voice on the radio from Michigan Wolverines men's hoops, Ryan Bosch. Also, the baseball voice of Michigan Wolverines baseball that made a run to the College World Series last season. And they could have a baseball and softball network at Michigan and a proud part of Learfield IMG College as the Michigan Wolverines game day host for football and also worked with John Jensen for Michigan football and the podcast there. If you like this episode, please rate, subscribe, and review the Blind Broadcaster Podcast on Apple Pod, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and your favorite podcast platform directories. If you have suggestions for guests you'd like on this show, please feel free and email me at luther.king.tsb at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter if you want to send me a direct message or send me a suggestion you have in mind at king underscore tsb. And if you'd like to try to find me on Facebook, Use the address at the top of this intro. Sit back and enjoy the episode with the voice of Michigan Wolverines men's basketball, Michigan baseball, and a proud partner from Learfield IMG College, Brian Bosch. Interview 27... Or at least over 40 episodes into this thing. And speaking with the current radio broadcaster for Michigan Basketball, who works with Terry Mills, national championship players as analyst. And he also did, he does Michigan baseball. I believe in the postseason. I don't know, I'm not sure in the regular season, but I know in the postseason when they had made the Big Ten tournament run and the NCAA regional and super regional run all the way to Omaha. This guy covered it, and he's joining me on the pod, Ryan Bush. And, Ryan, I think if my math is correct, on the one of the podcasts that I subscribed to, I believe it was the voice behind the voice, or say the damn score, one of the two, that you said you did play sports, but you were late to the broadcast party? Yeah. Uh, first off, Luther, thanks for having me. Uh, it's well, thanks pleasure. for the time. Yeah. That's no first doubt. off. Uh, yeah, I was with Sean on the, the voice behind the voice. That's what I thought. Because yeah. I knew he was on one of them. Yeah, he um, he stripped me down pretty good in terms of my story. Uh, he's a great guy. But, um, yeah, when I when I went to the high school and then early college, I, I wasn't really interested in being a – uh, a, a broadcaster per se. I wanted to be around sports, but I, I never really, I, I didn't have the confidence to believe that I could describe play by play as it was going on. And mm. fortunately, during my college career, uh, based on the experience that I was able to get, the professors that I had, the mentors that I uh, was fortunate enough to work with, uh, I got to that point and, and it took a while. Um, I've always, 
I've always been blown away by, uh, for example, the the play-by-play broadcasters who go to Syracuse because I know it's so competitive there. Yeah, the broadcasting cavalcade of America. Yeah, for sure. And, and <laughs> you know, because it's so competitive, there aren't as many reps to go around. No, there's not. And, you know, and, and, and maybe it speaks to more of their education <coughs> process. But for me, I needed to be bad for a while. I needed to get a ton of reps because when I started, I wasn't very good. Um, and, and that was so important to me. So being able to do it on a pretty small scale, high school football, high school basketball. Um, I did Ohio baseball, um, you know, occasionally Ohio women's basketball. Uh, but I had an opportunity to work through the quirks, work through the kinks. And uh, that more than anything else really started um, my climb. Because if I, if I came out of college with a hundred or fewer reps, I don't think I would have been able to, to climb in this industry. I'd probably be out of it. Um, but I was able to do 300 plus broadcasts along with some other stuff when I was at Ohio U. Uh, and, and that really allowed me to, uh, to go, uh, you know, out into the, the work, to the workforce and <coughs> basically say, Hey, I, you know, here's what I've done. Here's how I've grown. And, and here's what I can bring to insert company, insert team, insert broadcast here. So when you finished up college, who's the biggest mentor that gave you the confidence to say, hey, I think you have potential to be in this world and landscape of broadcasting and who gave you like the nudge to say, hey, you might want to try this. You may not be able to play sports, but. I believe that you have the ability to describe. Yeah, I, I think there were several people. The, the first one who really took an interest in not just me as a person, but as me as a, a potential broadcaster was a professor that I had uh, at Ohio in Tom Hodson, who uh, he was the women's basketball play-by-play broadcaster at that point. And this was 2008. And he, he was, um, a journalism professor. Uh, he had been in and around the Athens, Ohio community for, for decades. And I don't know what it was that, that sparked his interest in me. Um, his wife was in the, uh, the office of the Honors College, which I was in at Ohio. Um, so that, I think, helped a little bit. But he, he saw something in me that I didn't see in myself, which is, is always, for me, the most um, impactful thing that a teacher can do. Uh, or that a mentor can do is is by seeing something before it actually is present in the person themselves. Um, and you know, Tom Tom said he he thought I could be a broadcaster. I thought he was insane, um, but he gave me some opportunities to just do some ha- uh, halftime um, halftime updates for some of his women's basketball broadcasts and. You know, I got to a point where I felt like I could at least, you know, put together a broadcast that wasn't, um, you know, terrible, I guess. Uh, And it parlayed itself into Ohio baseball and then into high school football and basketball. uh, And it just kind of went from there. So he started it. Um, Another guy who has been, you know, kind of with me or around me every step of the way in broadcasting is Tony Castricone, who's the voice of Washington Washington now. Yeah, he... uh, uh, I, I met him pretty early on. He's also an Ohio U grad, and and he and I, um, we lived together for five years in, in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, when we were working at, at what is now Learfield IMG College. But at the time, it was um, IMG. 
Correct. After it was bought, after I, after I think IMG bought ISP, and then they just folded into one big humongous umbrella. Correct. You've done your research, Luther. Exactly right. Um, so you know, he and I uh, kind of went through a lot together, um, and, and we got to know each other at, at, for me, a pretty, you know, pretty young age. I, I think I met him when I was nineteen, and uh, and he's been great. And, and there have been so many. I mean, I think about those who have given me. Um, you know, the opportunities, Russ Eisenstein, the, the voice of the Bobcats at Ohio, he was the one who, you know, who really allowed me to do more with the school. And Tony um, Castrocrone was his broadcast on-site engineer, by the way. Yeah, yeah, here and there, yes, he was. Um, but, you know, Russ in Athens and then uh, Dave Palmer, who was the the president of the radio station I worked I didn't work for the, the quote-unquote student station a ton. I worked for <clears> the <throat> commercial radio station. Um, and Dave allowed me to, to kind of flap my wings because, you know, it, it's to me, it's one thing when you when you entrust somebody who, you know, can put out a good broadcast. There's a lot of broadcasters out there who can do a really good job. I'm not naive in saying that I'm the only person who can deliver a, a great Michigan men's basketball broadcast. I know there are a ton of people who can do that. You do a lot of them in the Big Ten. Mike yeah, Grimm in Minnesota, Dave in at Northwestern, Will Team at Michigan State, even though he's the football host with Blaha when he does football. Oh, the, the Big Ten's loaded, man. It's loaded. Matt LePay from um, Wisconsin. Shall I continue? They're, no, I mean, they're, they're, it's an incredible group of broadcasters. But to me, you know, it's one thing that, okay, I, I know a ton of people who could do a good job. Sure. But to me, the real the real proof of somebody who cares about others in this industry are those who are willing to listen, to help, to empower those broadcasters who aren't at that stage yet, who aren't good enough yet, who have the potential, who have the drive, who have the wants, but they don't have the ability or the talent or the experience yet. And those people who give, who prop up others in those situations, to me, that's what I've always tried to pay it forward with, um, and th- and that's how I got to this point because people like Tom, like Tony, like Dave, like Russ, like others, of course, um, those individuals propped me up when I wasn't necessarily ready. I, I had the potential, but I wasn't ready, and that's what any any broadcaster in this industry. I don't care if it's you know Joe Buck on on the Super Bowl or if it's somebody in in a the Alaskan Summer Collegiate League. Uh, we, we all need multiple people to prop us up when we probably can't do it ourselves with our resume, with our experience and with our tape. And, and we all need somebody like that. So after you did the Ohio stuff, where did your journey take you afterwards? Cause I yeah, think so, you did think it was baseball, but I could be wrong. It was. Uh, yeah, when I was a, a, a junior, soon to be senior in, in college, I started doing minor league baseball. I uh, was, was really fortunate to do a summer in the Appalachian League uh, with the Burlington Royals. Went back to Athens for my senior year. And then uh, from there, I uh, did a summer uh, assistant position with the Rangers AA affiliate, the Frisco Rough Riders. And I uh, worked with Aaron Goldsmith <laughs> now in the major leagues. And, and he's another guy who uh, has been very important in my career. And uh, from there, um, you know, it was kind of like a lot of people fresh out of college wondering, okay, what's next? How do I, how do I approach this? Where do I go? And uh, I was fortunate enough to link up with Tony uh, down at, at the time it was IMG. 
um, and do some hosting. And, and while that happened, uh, the play-by-play -play position with the Winston-Salem Dash opened up. Uh, I was lucky enough to get it, and I ended up spending six seasons with the Dash. And uh, and and then you know in the off season, I would I would work at IMG and uh, did a ton of schools. Um, you know, started with Northern Illinois, did a little bit of, of Oregon basketball. Uh, spent a couple of years with Kentucky basketball. My my two Kentucky basketball seasons could not have ended in different ways. One, they went to the national championship game the year they lost to UConn, and that was one year after. They lost to Robert Morris in the NIT, uh, which was a, a pretty astounding thing. Um, which it doesn't Kentucky, happen to a big to one of the college basketball blue bloods. That does not happen, especially going to Robert Morris because yeah, uh, the in the snowy, was in the, on the snowy time of the calendar in in uh, March. That's right. That's right. Um, so then Kentucky uh, ended up going to a different multimedia rights holder. Uh, and JMI Sports. It, Correct. And uh, from there, uh, in, in how this industry is so intertwined, um, at the time, Tony was hosting for Michigan basketball. And uh, at, you know, not only did Kentucky leave the company at that point, but uh, Tony became the play-by-play -play voice of Clemson basketball. So Tony still lived in Winston. Um, he still was in North Carolina. He commuted, um, which, which goes to show you just how dedicated and how hardworking he was to, to make a three plus hour drive one way. Uh, he had one home game a year, which was at Wake Forest when I think he walked to the game, which was hilarious. Um, <laughs> but uh, so it, it happened to sync up to where Michigan needed a, a, a host and I needed a broadcast. And I was fortunate enough to start working with, with Matt Shepard, Terry Mills and our engineer, Tony Butler. Um, and I was doing it for North Carolina. Uh, and, and from there, I, I really grew to have a passion for Michigan, to have a passion for that broadcast, to have a, a passion for the program. For um, you know, Even though I, I did not meet any of those people in person, which is pretty common uh, within the IMG landscape, uh, Michigan didn't make a whole lot of trips down to North Carolina for anything. Um, so, you know, my, my role was to be the, the, the utility man in, in the studio, basically. Um, and then, um, you know, obviously from there, uh, continued in minor league baseball, um, continued with Michigan, both on football and men's basketball broadcasts. And, uh, and then I left uh, minor league baseball to take a full-time role with IMG just for a number of reasons. Um, I was, I was a little burned out with, with the baseball world and I felt like, uh, IMG was a, a, a potential better path for, you know, trying to take that next step and, Lo and behold, a, a few years later, it, it ended up paying off and, and getting this opportunity once Matt Shepard got the Tigers job. A lot to unpack, but let's see how we go. <clears throat> All the baseball you did, what was the biggest thing you took away from baseball and what things from baseball do you still use now with men's basketball and now you're working with Juwan Howard? as your head coach? Yeah. Um, I mean, first things first, what, why baseball is so valuable for any broadcaster who wants to do any sport is that, listen, in football, if you're the, if you are, you know, the voice of, of the Patriots or the voice of this past year, the chiefs, the, the most you can do in terms of a football broadcast four exhibition games, 
16 regular season games. And at the most, most you can get four. is 20. If you if you don't have to play wild card weekend, but now that's going to change, you will at least get no more than 20. Well, if now if you're the two or the three seed, if you are the two seed, I think is 24 is going to be the max. That's the max. And in college football, a lot well, of now it's going to be 25 because now instead of a 16 game schedule, you're getting True. 17. True. So yeah. it's going to be 25. Yeah. And, and, and you think about it from a college perspective, it's basically half of that. I mean, LSU played 15 games this year. Clemson mm-hmm. played 15. So, yep. you know, you don't get a ton of reps. No, you don't. Basketball, obviously this year was a little bit different because of the postseason being canceled, but mm-hmm. the most you can get is 40. Yep. So in baseball, I'm calling <laughs> minor league ball, and I'm calling 140 games a year. It is a way, even though it's different, it's not constant – action like it is in in basketball you're still calling a bunch of games you still have to adapt and adjust to what's happening in front of you now in baseball a lot of that is oh how do I fill the time you don't have to fill a whole lot of time especially when you have an analyst and for me one is as as good and knowledgeable as Terry Mills right but you don't that helps it doesn't hurt for sure no doubt um but for me in minor league baseball most of the time on the road and this is the case for most minor league broadcasts I'm You're solo by myself. And, you know, that's a unique challenge, but it, it forces you to realize that, you know, you are the broadcast. You are the content provider. You don't know. You're not guaranteed to have a great game in front of you. Um, so for me, why baseball was so important was, as I mentioned earlier, I wasn't very good when I started. I, I didn't, you know, I hear a lot of stories about people who say, oh, man, I was four years old sitting in front of the TV, calling the play-by-play, wanting to, you know, be a broadcast. That wasn't me. I, I didn't do that. I love sports, but I was never thinking about it from a broadcaster perspective. Now, that changed as I get as I got older. Now I watch games, and, you know, unless it's, you know, a team that I'm really passionate about, I'm, I'm just as much watching about the broadcast as I am the game itself. But – um, you know, for me that doing all those baseball games helped me just to develop a voice, develop a tone, develop a kind of a, a, a volume palette, a volume range of knowing how high is too high, how low is too low and figuring out everything in, in the middle uh, and, and kind of go from there. So, you know, for, for baseball, you know, that was, that was huge. Now how that, goes into basketball I just I think it, it comes with confidence the more you do something even if it's not a direct application doing baseball helping to my basketball broadcast it's still doing a broadcast and it's it's so funny because the third Michigan game I did which was um, during the 2018-19 season when um, Matt was just getting the Tigers job um, and he was I think he was doing a Tigers caravan thing so I was at I was at Indiana with the crew, uh, and, you know, um, that was probably the only broadcast I've done uh, for Michigan that I was nervous. The first two games I did were home games. Everything was, you know, I, I had an understanding of how everything was going to work. Road game was a little different, and you're at Assembly Hall, which is one of the cathedrals of college basketball, sold out. Simon Indiana Scott was, Assembly Hall, Branch McCracken Court, and the no. legend Don Fisher. That's right. Yeah. And I'm way overmatched in terms of who I'm going up against as a broadcaster. Uh, he's got, you know, 40 something years. This is my third Michigan broadcast. But anyways, 
So <laughs> place is rocking. It's sold out. Indiana's mm-hmm. on the bubble at that point. They need yep. a win, and Michigan was playing really well. And the tip-off happens, and then the shot clocks uh, and the game clocks above the baskets go out. Oh, and no. for a legitimate I, – I think it was 10 minutes uh, we had to fill. And it was – I had, you know, I was very fortunate there. There a lot of, you know, a lot of friends and family members were tuned in because, you know, this is, that was that, to that point, that was the biggest broadcast I'd ever done in my life. So I had a lot of people listening and I remember leafing through my phone at halftime uh, while it was in studio reading texts and people were laughing because it was kind of like doing a rain delay coverage segment. Cause I was just filling, there was nothing. We, we were seven seconds into the game other than just saying occasionally, Hey, they're working on the clocks you have to go into rain delay mode and mm-hmm. it was you know there there have been plenty of of you know uh, ancillary reasons why baseball has helped me in in, in any other sort of broadcasting and but that, that was, was a direct that was an absolute carbon copy example except for it was january we were indoors and there were eighteen thousand people there and it's it just it's funny how those things tend to work out and that that's that's a game because Michigan went on to win. I think they went up 17 nothing in its start. That's a game I'll never forget. Um, but it's funny that the, the thing I'll probably remember the most is that that 10-minute stretch before there was any actual basketball. That happened. Do, you feel like you, do you feel like you got your equilibrium after you settled down after the clocks were being worked on? Did you feel like you finally just, you know, got your head and got your wits about you because you're like, okay, this is basketball. We're seven <laughs> seconds in. And yeah, we're doing we're doing regular theater, but I now have an idea. I don't have you know, since we're now in a rain delay mode, but I'm in relatively good shape because now I've got some time. And you were doing a fill, and how I mean, how often did you go back and make sure you had all the right people just in case? Yeah, somebody had made a change. Yeah, you know, for for me, I, I did. You're right. Totally. And it, it's funny. I remember having a conversation, um, with, with Tony Castricone, uh, he and I both called our first NCAA tournament games, uh, that season, Washington, uh, went to Columbus, beat Utah state, and then lost, I believe it was North Carolina. Um, and then we went to the sweet 16 and he and I were talking, uh, between the first weekend and the second weekend. So they were out, and, and we were heading to Anaheim to, to face off with Texas Tech. And mm-hmm. it was interesting because we both kind of had the same observation. Obviously, you know, calling an NCAA tournament game is, is a realization of a dream that I think a lot of people have in this industry. Um, and, and, and there's a lot of pomp and circumstance, and there's a lot that goes around um, the game, not just in terms of, you know, how you prep for it, but in terms of how you travel out there and how media is handled and, and what the setup's like. There's a lot going on. But then when you put the headset on and the game starts, it's basketball. It's, yep. it's you broadcasting. Certainly, there's an extra weight to it. There's a little bit more to that than a non-conference buy game in November. But ultimately, it's about calling the game. It's about doing your fundamentals there's a little extra pep in your step. There's a little extra. You talk about that volume range. There's a little mm-hmm. more to a big three in the first half in an NCAA tournament game than, than something in a non-conference game. Or but, even at the Big Ten tournament, because if you if you know you have to win the tournament to make the field of 68, that's going to be a little bit more because you. I mean, you know, you're broadcasting and the team has to go on a five-game, five-day run. Yep. 
And that's almost like being in a tournament mode without actually being in the tournament. For sure. Yeah. And it's, but it was interesting that we both had that observation because it, it would have been very easy for us to just be, man, this is a, this is the, the greatest thing ever. And I'm going to, I'm going to go out, I'm going to try to broadcast, you know, like I've never broadcast before. And, and listen, you want to have a great broadcast, but you can't handle something. And it, it, it's just like the players. Yes. It's a big stage. Yes. It's a big moment, but you can't, treat it like that once you're in the midst of it and it's it's just a unique lesson that that i don't think people um would expect and i I certainly didn't expect it i was telling myself i gotta i gotta stay i gotta stay within myself i can't go crazy but once that ball's tip man it's it's game on showtime yeah it it, do do what you've done to get you to that point just like every one of those players on the floor how did baseball keep you mentally sharp when you had the fill for the Michigan-Indiana game. And when you actually were able to do some of the games and Matt Shepard couldn't be around, and then the Big Ten tournament, we just basically gave you the reins the rest of the way from the Big Ten yeah. tournament all the way through. Yeah, I think more than anything else, what, what baseball helped me with, and I think when you when you talk to players, you know, present and, and, and past who – who play the game of baseball or who cover the game of baseball or who are around it. Baseball teaches you so much about life. Every sport does. Every sport does. And it's not, you know, it's not just baseball. But for mm-hmm. me, that's, you know, that was a sport that I grew up um, most passionate about until probably high school. It was a sport that I worked in for a decade. Um, and, and baseball is something where routine is so important. Uh, understanding what is most important is vital. You, you know, you know, minor league broadcasters aren't just broadcasting. You're doing a lot of other things. And, and to me, I found that my baseball uh, past helped me a lot for the Big Ten tournament because that year uh, Michigan was the three seed. They were the last team to play for the first time. They were the last game on Friday. So we played around, I think we tipped about 8.45 Central Time on Friday, and then 2.30 Central Time Saturday, 2.30 Central Time Sunday. So in the stretch of, what, 46 about 46, hours? 48 hours. Yeah, you're, you're doing three games. Yep. And, you know, that that requires a level. Plus, I mean, it's, it's one thing. I mean, obviously, I had been covering the team for years, so I knew about – we played Iowa, Minnesota, and Michigan State. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Michigan State's an easy prep because Michigan knows Michigan State. Michigan State knows Michigan. Basically, um, both do, teams know both teams know each other, and it's just rivalry day. And I mean, correct. when you're playing your rival, you have no secrets. Correct. Exactly. And yeah, and, and, and honestly, like in my going through a full season this year, quick tangent, um, I felt like I I had to and did more prep for the non-conference than I did for the conference games, because you're, you're following, you're watching, um, you know, Minnesota versus whoever on a Tuesday night on BTN when, when Michigan's not playing. I mean, you, you get to know these guys, but for me that first year, I hadn't seen any of these teams in person. It, it, it helps immensely when you can see these teams in person. So I just needed to make sure that, you know, I was as well prepped as possible because listen, we all, no one's had a perfect broadcast. 
we're all going to make mistakes. And we're all still striving to get a perfect broadcast. And even if we think we have it, we know we don't. Correct. You could argue Vince Scully has. He might be the only one. And he's he's probably got a few of them in his belt. But, you know, I I think if you're you're well prepped for the game, if you have an understanding, if if your prep is almost as much up here as it is on your charts, which is something that's big for me because I – as I've learned in, in calling these games now regularly, I, there are things that you, you kind of, if you don't have down in your mind, um, it's, it's tough. It's like an open book test, but I don't have a whole lot of time to look through my book. You know, you, you have to, you have to know things. You have to instinctually know things. And, mm-hmm. and for your team, for Michigan, on my perspective, that that's pretty easy. Uh, I, you know, by, you know, by the middle of the season, you know, you know everything about your guys. Or at you least know, you where better trouble, know. Where their trends. Yeah, I mean, it's that that's easy. Um, mm-hmm. But for those opponents, that was difficult. And, and for me, it was just understanding. Okay, well, we were the three seed. We we felt pretty good about our chances that season to to go to the championship game and win the thing. They had won the previous two, so um, it, it's just that understanding. And, and baseball has has taught me that. And you know, I. I've had this conversation with John Jansen, who's, who's on the Michigan broadcast up here. He and I do a podcast together on the football side. Um, and he, so much of his life, uh, his discipline, his drive, his passion for, for the school, for the program, came from those five seasons when he was wearing the winged helmet. Uh, we all, you know, we all develop different things from our sports experiences. Mine were, you know, uh, other than, you know, high school bowling, I, I didn't have a whole lot of that. Um, but I, I gleaned it from my time in broadcasting. And, you know, I think anytime you're exposed to any sport, you pick up various characteristics and things that, that can help you move forward. Now, when you came on the broadcast from Michigan football and basketball, was that the last year of Frank Beckman as the lead voice of Michigan football? Or was that you came on board when Brandstetter slid to the number one chair and yeah, where those is now. Yeah, I never worked directly with Frank. Um, obviously, I've heard plenty of his calls. I mean, he was great. He he was really, really, really good. Um, but no, so I started with Michigan basketball the 2014-15 season, uh, okay. and I started with Michigan football for the 2015 season. So that was Randy's, I think, third season with something like that as the play-by-play broadcaster. Um, so yeah, so I've, the, the, the football team has been the same since I've gotten there with Jim as play by play, Dan Deardorff color, uh, Doug Karsh on sidelines. And then, you know, John Jansen being that, that pregame halftime postgame analyst. Working with you on football. Mm-hmm. Or is he, or is it, or is it Rob Joyce doing that now? I forgot. Uh, so Rob did basketball, uh, this past season. Um, football, I was still hosting. Um, so I've obviously this will hopefully continue for, for this season and beyond, but I'll be the host, um, for football from the stadium or from the studio during, you know, road games. Um, obviously not sure about travel from a road game perspective, but, but yeah, um, for basketball, would love to have Rob back. He was, he was great. So... When you started with game prep, what were your biggest keys that you had to learn when you were starting game prep to now that you're doing basketball full time? Like when you were doing all the other sports, how much was 
game prep then compared to now that you're doing men's basketball full time? What's and unique about yeah, what's unique about uh, the IMG model and you know kind of why I went to IMG full time was it, it gave you an opportunity to fill in on some pretty high level broadcasts. Um, mm-hmm. The way I likened it and the way I, I kind of justified my decision, because on paper you think, well, wait, you're going to give up a lot of play-by-play. Mm-hmm. And I did. I mean, I went from doing 140 baseball games to, you know, a handful of games. But I felt like at that point uh, it was important for me to go from doing a lot of games that didn't really resonate to a few games that did. And I was fortunate enough that, that early on in my IMG career, uh, the team there led by Chris Ferris was uh, willing to, to trust me to call a couple of Duke men's basketball games. I, one of the random tidbits about my career is that I called Coach K's 1,000th win at Duke. Um, I was filling in for David Shoemate because football was at Army. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I called his 999 and 1,000th win um, because in a very unique setup, which doesn't happen in college basketball very much except for in tournaments, uh, they played back-to-back days to start the season, Elon and then Utah Valley. Um, mm-hmm. So that was my first uh, IMG assignment. So that year, I called eight games um, in terms of football – or in terms of basketball. I called – two Duke games, three West Virginia women's basketball games, and then three games of the SEC men's basketball. Um, So, you know, obviously going from 140 to eight is different. But for me, it was, it was worth it because those, those games matter. Those games really resonate. I mean, I love baseball, but minor league baseball games for the most part don't matter. It's about development. It's about getting them prepared for the big leagues. So, you know, for me, it was, it was really valuable um, to get those types of reps. So where I'm going with this is when you're filling in on a broadcast, it's, it's unique and it's difficult because you're calling it for the home fans, but you're not there all the time. So it helped with the Duke games. They were the first two games of the season. So I could do a lot of introductory prep because, you know, at Duke, there's a lot of freshmen every year. Um, so there, there's, there's that introduction process. Um, you know, for West Virginia women's basketball, it was a pretty veteran team. Um, they had already had several games under their belt before I had gone and called games. So you have to prep as the quote-unquote local guy, even though you're a fill-in, which is unique. And that was something I had to do when I filled in for, for Michigan men's basketball the next season was – and it helped that I was the, the host, so I had followed that team pretty closely. But still, you – Local fans who are listening to your broadcast, they know certain things. If I, every single day, every single broadcast talked about, you know, Xavier Simpson, um, you know, being, uh, you know, some story of his that, you know, he and his dad did a lot of practice together each offseason. Well, that's, that's a TV tidbit. That's for something where the TV broadcasters change and they come in and they do a couple Michigan games a year. You can do that. Whereas on the, the local side where you're the, the broadcaster every game you have to get to know the players as people uh you have to understand kind of what they're working on their trends um what's kind of current and then you know when some of that background's relevant you can bring it in but it's a totally different prep 
when you are filling in versus when you're doing it over and over because I mean, let's face it, you have more resources in front of you. It's, it's what I always, to me, that was the biggest step forward in my broadcasting abilities from doing high school to college was that, well, high school, you, you're lucky to get stats. Like you, you got nothing. You got a roster. Hopefully, you know what, you know, what and class you're in and that's it. So you got to seek out pronunciations. You got to seek out stats, trends. Yeah. Good luck. Then you get to college and you have that at your disposal, at least in, in most situations. So um, I think, listen, the prep is different, but it, it, it should be better. You should do it in a way to where we're not just, you know, same in baseball. I mean, I, I can sit here and talk about a guy's batting average, you know, and, and how many home runs and RBIs there are, but, but how much does that really matter? It, it's more interesting to hear about how he's, you know, working on tweaking his swing or, you know, the fact that he's got family in town or something along those lines. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a unique challenge. It's different, but you know, something that, that I, I love. It's, it's something I embrace. I'm trying to think, did you do the Michigan Florida State men's basketball game in was it, the San Juan shootout, I think? No, that was actually Tony Castricone. Um, oh, really? Another, okay. way, another way that everything is intertwined. He did that tournament with Terry, and then he um, he did a preseason NIT uh, for Michigan way back in the day at Madison Square Garden. So, yeah, another way it's all intertwined, right? Yeah, because I, I thought you had done that one, but I guess, I mean. <clears throat> yeah, my, sure first, my first Michigan uh, fill-in was November 23rd of 2018 at home against Chattanooga um it was a four o'clock game uh it was the day after Thanksgiving uh so I went and visited some some friends and family in uh in the northeast Ohio area uh and then drove to Ann Arbor stayed in a hotel uh got up the next day um met Terry Mills for the first time which was great did the broadcast and then drove nine hours back to Winston in order to host for Michigan, Ohio State the next day at 9 a.m., which it's so funny, too, because to get from Ann Arbor to uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, you have to go through Columbus, and the game was in Columbus. I, I literally passed Ohio Stadium before driving another six hours to host the Michigan-Ohio State game, but because of how our setup is, I, I needed to be down there to do – everything else that comes with hosting outside of, you know, just being on the air. So, uh, yeah, I drove through the state that, that uh, the team was playing in, in order to get down there. It was, it was worth it though, man. I, I, that was, for me, that was such a thrill. I, I just wanted to, after being around the, after being around the team for, you know, so long from afar, um, I, I was getting my, my chance to go into Chrysler and meet coach Beeline at the time. That was, that was, that was worth that nine hour drive, even though I was pretty tired. So what were your duties in the studio? Because I know all the play-by-play guys that I've listened to that are with Learfield IMG. Let's say who the person is back at network control, taking care of all the intricate stuff at the studio to make sure that you guys are sounding decent. But what are the other roles that a studio board op slash scoreboard host slash whatever else you need to be to make the broadcast work like they're supposed to. 
Yeah. It all so, goes into that. Yeah. So we, um, as a host, obviously you have the on-air responsibilities, but that mm-hmm. really is second fiddle to what else needs to happen. Um, normally hosts get in there about an hour and a half before airtime, make sure that a, we're connected to satellite in order to distribute to, to all the radio stations that air our games. Mm-hmm. And then um, we are responsible for loading and then running through the format, which has all the commercials, any sort of sponsor rejoins, any sort of imaging. So basically board offing the broadcast. Um, you connect with site, uh, with the engineer on site to make sure that uh, everything sounds good, do some mic test, stuff like that. Um, and then, yeah, you're also, you're also prepping for, uh, for your on-air hits. I, I also made it a point, uh, both for football and basketball to, to, to kind of be a, a secondary statistician. If I noticed something, or I'll, I'll be honest, if I saw a really good stat that they threw up on the TV, uh, I'll, I'll parlay that down, down the line to, to our talent or to the engineer to pass the talent. Um, you know, that it, it was, it's, it's basically how I look at it is, how do you make the broadcast better? And obviously, if you do a good job with your on-air hits, that's one thing. That's great. You want to make that an important part of the broadcast, but you want to make sure the levels are even. You want to make sure the commercials are playing properly uh, because that's what pays the bills. You want to make sure that the radio stations are getting the feed that they need. So um, it is, you know, it, it's funny because you're at times you're kind of sitting around. There's, you know, you're in the middle of a game. There's not a whole lot to do other than play a commercial here and there. And other times, you know, in in, in pregame or in postgame, things are going crazy. You're you're doing ten things at once. It's, um, you know, listen, I I did the hosting in order to, you know, hopefully one day get a chance to call the games. But you know, there's there doing the studio hosting is fun, man. It's it's different. It's a unique challenge. <clears throat> it's it's unlike anything I've ever done in broadcasting because you know in a lot of cases that role would be split into two or three different people uh you're doing all of it which not only is is a fun and you know at times challenging situation but also it 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 allows you to you know be pretty desirable for for other companies or for promotion within img which you know promotion is um you know pretty much all internal uh within the audio department um, it makes you pretty desirable. There's a lot that you can, there's a lot that you can do to uh, intrigue other employers or your bosses uh, through, through that company protocol, because there's just so much going on. So how much of the studio work did you take for when they finally let you go handle games and things like that? How much of the studio operation did you carry into the broadcast that you did and the, the current ones that you do, how much of that studio work are you still using? I think more than anything else, when you're a host, when you're not the quote unquote play by play broadcaster, um, you want to make the broadcast sound as great as it can. And I think that is incumbent on any member of the team to do that. Um, I think more than anything else, it, it showed me that this is a team effort that if one person isn't doing their job to the best of their ability, it affects everyone. Yep. Um, you know, I mean, I, that's why, you know, the, the MVP of our broadcast is Tony Butler, our engineer. He makes it sound good. He allows Terry and I 
to do our job at a high level because we don't have to worry about that other stuff. He is selfless. He is a guy who busts his tail to make sure everything's, you know, up to snuff and connected and sounds good and is tested. Um, you know, and, and when you're in that studio, you, you have touch points with everybody. So I, I know every layer of our broadcast because I've been, I've done pretty much every role except for um, the, the color, the color analysis, because I didn't win a national championship in Michigan. That's Terry Mills' job. Terry's going to be our analyst because he's the man. Um, but, you know, everything else I've had a touch point in. I've, I've helped, you know, to engineer. I've uh, obviously done the play-by-play. I've done the hosting. So I, I, I know every aspect of that broadcast. And when you think of it as not just, hey, I'm worrying about me and my role and everything else will come together, that's not the best way to go about it. We want to we wanna come together in a way – where we can prop each other up, where we can make each other better. Um, and, you know, when you're that studio host, you see how it all comes together because you're, you're the, you're the <clears> sausage <throat> maker at the end. You're the last person that brings it all together, that distributes it out. You hear everybody. Um, so from my perspective, you know, getting that experience was, was invaluable because you, you see every touch point and how it affects the broadcast as a whole. What is your normal game prep week like? And besides the driving back and forth to get back to the studio to do the football game on that Saturday, what's been the craziest broadcast you've been a part of? Ooh, uh, that second one's tough. I'll, I'll, I'll answer that one in a bit once I think about it. Um, in terms of prep, uh, how I normally handle it is – so, okay, let's take it this way. Let's just say we had a game Saturday. We have another game Wednesday, right? Mm-hmm. So game Saturday ends. Wednesday, Saturday, um, Thursday, Sunday or something. Yeah, exactly. So game Saturday ends. Uh, <clears throat> normally Sunday, what I'll do is I will um, go back through my charts and update all of the numbers. So individual stats, career highs, team trends, uh, anything along those lines, both for the Michigan chart that I put together and for whatever team is next on the docket. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, once Monday rolls around, uh, normally that's when I'm going back and listening to, I don't, I don't listen to every minute of every broadcast that I do, but I try to at least take out selections. Either I thought that, Hey, that stretch in the second half, I really liked, or who oh, I didn't feel totally comfortable out of the gates. Let me listen to that and see what happens. So I, I try to pinpoint, at least, you know, two media timeout stretches. So I'm, le- I'm listening to at least 20 minutes or so, and I always listen to all my highlights just to get a, an understanding of, okay, what did I do well? What are some words maybe I use too frequently? Uh, what are some other things that, that I can sprinkle in? Uh, how did I come out of breaks? Stuff along those lines, just some of the fundamentals. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you about, like, I was going to ask you, about how much you listen back and what things are you listening for. So you basically answered my own question, but how do you make sure that you, before we get back to game prep, sorry to go off topic here. No, you're good. But when you met Terry for the first time, and now that you're working with him side by side, pretty much on a day in day out basis, what was the biggest thing you had to learn from doing mostly baseball games solo to working 
with a color analyst basically just doing one sport. What was the biggest things you had to learn and how did you build a the rapport and how you set him up? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's unique. Now, fortunately, because of the fact that I had been in studio for so long, mm-hmm. I had a relationship with Terry. Uh, Terry and I would talk occasionally. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't one of those things where I, you know, we just went away from each other. I, I had a good rapport with everybody on that broadcast. Um, Terry was actually, you know, the, the main catalyst of, of some of the production pieces we put together uh, the year before. I, I started to fill in on actual play-by-play assignments uh, when, when Michigan went to the national championship game. And, and, and Terry is, um, you is know. Is that I, the post-game vignette you guys would come on, like, come out of the main billboard and go back courtside since Matt was doing some other stuff with uh, with the coaches of the player interviews for the post game? No, a lot of the, and that, that certainly is a component and Terry helped with, with that stuff too. But what we did um, for that championship game and for the final four game against Loyola Chicago, um, I had, I'd come up with this crazy idea. I'm like, you know, uh, what's unique about the NCAA tournament is that Westwood one owned the exclusive digital rights. So we, uh, as a company can't post any highlights digitally of our radio broadcast, which is, which is a bummer, but Hey, yeah, uh, really it sucks. Don't yeah, get me like, wrong. Cause I, cause I've always had this complaint, but I've, I see why that it can happen, but I hope someday down the road that technology will keep improving where just because the NCAA tournament through Westwood one, that somehow, some way, you can still listen to the local broadcasters on the men's side that you've listened to all year long, including the, you know, conference postseason tournament. Yeah. And, and obviously, you know, we're still on, on the radio, but it, it definitely is a bummer. Like the, the one thing that I, the, the biggest bummer for, for me from a production perspective was we weren't able to get Matt and Terry's call of Jordan Poole's game winner against Houston out. Yeah. We weren't able to distribute that digitally. We could, you know, radio stations could play it uh, if they were on our network, but we weren't able to, to publish it digitally. But that, I mean, that, you know, hey, Westwood One has purchased that right. That They're well within their, their rights to do it. Um, obviously, selfishly, um, I'd love to, you know, just as much as I want to hear, you know, Kevin Kugler or, or Ian Eagle or Brandon Gauden's calls, I also want to hear Matt. I want to hear the local guys that I've listened to you all year long. Gary Allen's, yeah. Like, you want to hear those guys' calls, too. Um but anyways, so I, I was trying to come up with a way. Well, how can we do a an intro, just kind of a, a, a pump up clip without incorporating any highlights from the NCAA tournament? Obviously sure. a unique challenge for the final four, especially mm-hmm. where you know Michigan had had really two incredible um, things to talk about from that run. The Jordan mm-hmm. Poole shot. Yep. And then the fact that they just absolutely boat raced Texas A&M in the Sweet 16. That was – Was that – I'm trying other, to think. Was that the game in – oh, where was that that year? L.A. Yeah, Los Angeles. Yep. And Because I know they had to go through – I think they had to go through the West. Correct. Yep. Because I know exactly. it was like, what, L.A. for the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight. I can't remember where they started. Did they start – Was Moines. that – no, that – what was that? Uh, it was Des Moines. Yeah, it was Iowa. Or no, Des Moines or Wichita. I think it was Wichita that year. Because I know one year, I know one year they came. I know one year. I think Michigan came here to Nashville. I think one year and lost in the 
but that was before you came on board, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they that, that that's an interesting one because they lost they lost to Ohio. I was at that point I was uh, I hadn't worked with Michigan yet, so I was I was pulling for my Bobcats that day. That's uh, my, my interesting my interesting Cat. stat from that is that uh, John Beeline, when he was the coach at Michigan, only lost one first a uh, one opening game of any of his Big Ten or NCAA tournaments. He was and undefeated was except for against Ohio in a four thirteen game. Yeah, that was. Again, small world, right? Um, but yeah, so I was trying to come up with a way. How can we how can we incorporate this teams in the final four? Mm-hmm. We have restrictions, but there's gotta be a way to do it. So I called we got to the we got to the final four um on a I think I think we were Thursday, Saturday, so it was Sunday. So I called Terry. I came up with this idea. I said, Hey, how many how many guys from the 89 national championship team you think would be willing to record something on their phone um as just kind of a a quick you know way to say hey guys congratulations some sort of like quick one minute thing sure and he said oh i can get several guys so i think we ended up with six it was him sean higgins glenn rice Mm -hmm. uh, demetrius caleb like we we got you know some some bona fide legit players from that team um and i just i just sent them a one minute word document for the semifinal and then for the championship game and then terry terry reached out to all of them got them the clip obviously you want to have them do it on something that you know sounds good so i had them do it on a voice memo on their phone as opposed to just you know calling down the line and having kind of the the crappy phone quality with it um <laughs> don't get me started on the phone quality yeah, oh please you know, i mean you, I you and know. i you can I, you and i could take this whole podcast and go five hours about <laughs> crap phone service <laughs> that's right that's right but fortunately they were all willing to do it and it, it's funny because um <laughs> once i got the job up here uh i saw um i saw glenn rice in person and i never actually met him but he he was great like he was you know i I was, you know, Terry was important on that team, but he knows Glenn Rice was the guy. He was the guy who got them the, to the national championship and won it. Yep. He was amazing in that tournament. And he was the most excited, the most passionate about this idea. Like we had like a 10 minute conversation on the phone about it. He's like, this is great. Really cool idea. Mm-hmm. So when I introduced myself to him, he's like, I'm like, there's no way this guy's going to remember me. You know, he's got millions of people who knows who he is. He's a rock like star. He's a legend. Yeah. I mean, he is, you know, he, he, he like who like like he's not he's not gonna make time for me just uh, me just a a third wheel on a bigger machinery landscape just known as the Michigan broadcast. I mean, how how would he and, and how I, would he know me? And I wasn't with Terry either. Like Terry opens a lot of doors. Like I can <laughs> you know people will at least pretend to care when they meet me if I got Terry next to me because Terry Terry knows everybody. I mean he legitimately. Outside of Juwan Howard, the most popular guy, the guy who knows the most people when we go on the road in the Big Ten is Terry Mills. I mean, it's amazing how many people come up and say hi to him, whether it is alum, you know, an Holding, alumni. He basically, you know, alumni he basically holds court. Oh, yeah, or former assistants. I mean, they're, you know, I've several times we've sat courtside and people will, like, you know, assistant coaches from other teams will shake Juwan's hand and be like, hey, who's better, you or Terry? I've heard that question multiple times. Like, in the handshake line, a minute before the national anthem. It's just, it, it's hilarious. Now, okay, this brings up the follow-up here. Since we're on the subject of Mr. Howard, the guy who unfortunately 
No, that was Chris Webber. Excuse me. My bad. Mm-hmm. With the technical foul, but I think Juwan Howard was on that team. When he came on board, and now that you are ensconced as the lead guy, what has been the broadcaster to head coach relationship been like with one of Michigan's favorite sons coming home and you're now working with him as the broadcaster, you know, to do the pregame show and the coaches show with him. And how long did it take you to build a rapport with the players and the coaches that you deal with on a day in day out basis? Yeah. To be honest, I mean, you know, one of the, one of the big challenges for me in this, in this field in my career is that I do have a bit of a tough time around like the alpha personalities, right? Uh, like the people who are, the people who are on, unqu- they, they, they walk in and they own the room. And whether that's in terms of personality, in mm-hmm. terms of being outgoing, or just in terms of, oh, wow, that's so-and-so. That's always been a challenge for me. So what I've tried to do, and Juwan is a great example of this, is listen, Juwan Howard is more popular in Ann Arbor than John Beeline was in his entire time. From what I've gathered, from who I've talked to, and John Beeline did so much for this program and got to two Final Fours, two national championship games, Mm -hmm. tons of success. But Juwan Howard played here. He was a part of – it's funny, even though Terry Mills and that 89 team won the national championship – Mm-hmm. I think people up here remember more about the Fab Five because it, it really was. Hello, 30 for 30 reincarnated. Yeah, like it was college basketball. Uh, and yeah. I mean, it, in, in 30 years, I think the great example of, of this of this decade is I think people are going to remember more about the Zion Williamson Duke team than the, the, than the two Duke teams that won the national championship earlier that decade. The team that beat Butler at the buzzer. Yeah, John Shire, Kyle said, um, what was it? John Sh- John Shire, Kyle Singler, yeah. and others. If it wasn't for a half-court shot that came up wide left or wide right, we're talking yep. about Butler with the greatest run ever. Yep. And then, remember, in 2015, Duke yeah. wasn't the best team in college basketball. And that, and that was with, um, blah, 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 blah. who was that? That was Kentucky's undefeated run. Yeah, and then they got knocked out by Wisconsin. Yep. And that if Wisconsin it, I, team was really good, too. I mean, that was And I a, can promise you. Let's think about this for a second. Which game do you think America would have liked to have seen Monday night? Duke, Kentucky, because that's the right, that's the game that everybody wants to see. And it hasn't been seen since the 1992 East final. Yep. And yep, I think exactly. that, and that would have been made for TV. And you'd have two fan bases that are almost that are blue buds of college basketball, but Wisconsin was no slouch either. But it's just oh, the fact that, that you know, Everybody that was really looking forward team. to seeing. I mean, yeah, Frank Kaminsky. Um, Kaminsky, Kaminsky was like the driving force of that bunch. I, I think. I think that Wisconsin team was the best Big Ten team of last decade. And, I agree. And I, they were. Kaminsky. They were I'm both. trying to think. Was was I'm trying to think who was their point guard on that squad? Uh, but I know. I know Kaminsky was yeah, getting well, Kaminsky, double doubles. Yeah, every Kaminsky night. was the driving force. Yeah, I mean, Kaminsky was, was getting double doubles every night almost. Yep. Yeah, I mean, he was, 
I mean, that, that team was, was phenomenal. I mean, um, it was crazy. I mean, just that night when Kentucky had the Harrison twins and all of that bunch for Kentucky, I mean, it was a, it was a loaded final four. Oh yeah. I mean, that but team had Duke, Dan Decker Duke, and Bronson Koenig and yeah. Nigel Hayes. I mean, that yeah. team was, that team was really good. Loaded. Um, Kentucky but, had the Harrison twins and they had Carl Anthony Towns and yeah, they were they were loaded. It, it, um, it was a lo- it was a loaded final four. Probably, I don't know if that was the best final four, but it was one of the good ones. Oh yeah, that I no can doubt. remember. No in doubt, the last that, while. that Kentucky that Kentucky Wisconsin game was <clears throat> was pretty iconic. Shot um, for shot. Yep, no whistle doubt. Whistle for whistle. I mean, it was it was like literally it was like a game of attrition. Whoever survived would have earned it, and yeah. So, so back to the the point about you know, kind of the the relationship. Mm-hmm. I've always been a big believer in understanding where where I kind of rate in terms of a pecking order within a coach or a player's time, um, and and I always thought about it in in terms of you know when I was in baseball, I had to be the media relations director, um, so I was you know I was I was tasked with making players available for media and in the minor leagues a lot of that's just kind of tedious phone calls because we were a thousand miles away from our from our major league team the Chicago White Sox so certainly some players will do whatever you you have unlimited unlimited leeway with them some were like yeah I'll do most but just don't bother me on certain days and some were a little bit more difficult to deal with Mm -hmm. um so you have different you have different leeway with different people now coach Howard and I we got along well, uh, but I also I also wanted to be respectful of his time, not just to do his job, and that means you know we were we would do our pregame interview shoot around. I'd let him you know he's he's focused. He he handles shoot around different than than a lot of college coaches because the NBA style is you do a lot of you do a lot of prep in a shoot around. He mm-hmm. has you know college. In my experience with John Beeline, it was a little bit more just hey get some shots up get you know, get stretched out, get, you know, get warm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. that was more – shoot around was kind of like a practice right. for this for this team with, with Juwan Howard. So um, – and also at those coaches' shows, um, you know, where we're on location at a local restaurant up here, um, I get I get the opportunity to talk to Juwan a lot. Uh, and that's with the interviews and stuff like that. Um, so, so those opportunities, when we were in breaks, I'm not talking with him. He's either talking with – you know, with Terry about something, you know, a recruit or something like that, or uh, he's talking with the fans. I, I'm just kind of treated as I know my place um, and I want to handle it the right, the right way. So, um, and it was the same with John Beeline when I was up here for, for those filling opportunities. I'm going to, I need to do my job. I need to get my interview with you. Um, and, and certainly there were times where, you know, you know, Juwan and I would have a conversation um, you know, a little bit afterward, but you know, he's, he's a laser focused competitor. And, um, you know, so I, I, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't want to waste a whole lot of his time. Um, but in terms of dealing with him, in terms of getting a chance to interact with him, um, it, it's been, it's been an honor, especially considering just how important he is to this community. Yeah. We can slide back around to prep now because I mean, we went all around the world in 80 days, but hey, that's a good thing. Back yeah. To- so, so the prep aspect, basically, the first 24 to 36 hours, and obviously this is all condensed if you're in a tournament setup 
or, you know, maybe you play a, a you know, Thursday, Saturday or whatever it might be, um, which doesn't happen a ton of the big time, but, um, you know. And don't forget now that they added the Friday sleep, so now you may have to play on a Friday. Yeah, oh, those are great. I love those. Then you get the whole weekend. It's awesome. Um, but so the first the first 24 to 36 hours, if I have a three full three-day gap, Saturday yep. to Wednesday, Tuesday to Saturday, whatever it might be, the first 24 to 36 hours are focusing on the previous game. That's getting stats updated. That's listening to the broadcast. That's doing any sort of little nuggets within my chart that are based on the last game. And then normally I spend that, that Monday. So like the middle portion, almost exclusively on the other team. It is going through their game notes. It is basically what I do um, is I, I Google each relevant player on, on that opposing team. And I just go normally five or six pages on Google um, both within the, the normal Google and then within news and just leaf through some guys, there's a ton of stuff. Some guys, there's not as much. I just have a kind of a, a free flowing stream of consciousness, uh, word document where I just have all these notes. Um, so, you know, it might be, you know, four or five pages long on, you know, on the other team. Um, and then the day before is normally when there's availability, um, with, you know, Coach Howard's pregame uh, or, or pre-day press conference, and then a few players are available. Um, so I'll I'll go to that and I'll talk to some guys, um, kind of getting you know the stories of the team, what's happened since the previous game, what are they working on, stuff along those lines. Um, and then I'll, I'll I'll do the same thing. I'll just put it in a word document. And then normally that night before into the day of, that's when I put my chart together. I don't. Outside of updating numbers and, you know, any sort of ancillary things on my boards, I don't really touch my Excel spreadsheet chart until 24 to 36 hours before the broadcast because I want to – I mean, it's basketball. There's only so much you can get in. I, mm-hmm. I Baseball was different. I could just – I kind of just had those Word documents because I, I kind of knew where stuff was at it. You have time to leaf through it if you're looking for a tidbit. In basketball, it's got to be quick. So I, I find the stuff that I know is relevant, um, and I put it in my chart. And, and what I do is it's kind of back to my media relations days in baseball. I will, um, on my chart in the area where there's, um, you know, where there's information, just like whether it's story or trend, I put a little caption and I bold it. Um, and I'll put it just kind of a trigger in my mind, something along the lines of struggled as of late, colon, and then my note. Because I, I have studied these guys enough to where I know some of that. And if I need to quickly locate it while somebody's free throw line or say we're coming out of a media timeout or whatever, I find that bullet. It's almost for my eyes. It's to see, okay, that's the important part. That's where I need to go. And then if I want to read further, I can so for me, I've, I've kind of, in, in doing this more, I've realized, listen, you, you could have a ton of stuff on your chart, but for me, in the flow of a basketball broadcast, it's so vital I know how to get there quickly. Um, and, and that's what I focus on. So it's about, you know, the early stage of the prep is getting as much information as possible on anybody. I, 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 spare, no, I spare no data on my computer. I don't care how relevant or irrelevant it is. 
what can I get on this sheet? And then once I get to know both sides, I read everything, then I pinpoint, okay, what's most important? It's almost like that inverted pyramid, um, you know, concept for writing for newspapers or mm -hmm. for, you know, for websites, writing a game recap. It is what's most important. Let's put it in there. And what trigger can I put in bold that will allow me to realize, yes, I want to go there. There's the tidbit. Boom. It's, you know, more than anything else, not only am I researching, I'm also trying to get myself ready to quickly regurgitate <laughs> that information when it's necessary. So, you know, it's a process that's been refined. I've changed my charts a few times just within this past basketball season, always tweaking my, my processes, um, just trying to figure out the best way to, for me in basketball, find it quickly because that, to me, that's the, that's what a chart is for. It's, it's for having the information, but it's, it's useless if I can't find it for 10 seconds. So that's, that's really important. Can that bullet point in the research lead to a conversation with your analyst and how much oh, yeah. of the bullet points are you looking for that when you do your research and think, okay, maybe this is something that Terry and I can, you know, get into in the broadcast. Yep. The way I think about it is as the play-by-play -play broadcaster, my job is to describe who, what, and where. Yep. Terry's job is to describe how and why. Mm -hmm. It is a simple delegation of responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And that's why it, on radio, the play-by-play -play guy drives it and sets up the analyst. On TV, because you can see what's going on, it's the analyst driving it, and that play-by-play -play guy is just kind of filling in with, with some tidbits and some energy and stuff like that. But if you understand that, and if I can, by describing who, what, where, and when, I guess, as well, if that helps me bridge to how Terry can explain why and how, then I'm doing my job because that's what people want. I'm, I don't want to give a bunch of opinions. I'm not a hot take guy. No. I want to set up Terry to, as a former NBA veteran, as a national champion, as a guy who knows explain more basketball it. than I've ever known. He tells us why and how those things happen. Explaining in the simplest way possible. Yep, exactly. So that's how I, that's how I try to set it up. And, and, you know, Terry and I have, have gotten to know each other to a way where I, I think we, you know, we'll, we'll kind of, you know, map things out in breaks, but for the most part, we just play off one another. He does his prep. I do mine. He knows basketball more than, than almost anyone I've ever talked to. Um, you know, the way that he can break it down is, is really impressive. And um, it, it just, it makes the broadcast flow in, in a way that, that I've been really proud of. And, you know, that's, I mean, ultimately, listen, for me, I knew coming into this, I was following a heck of a play-by-play -play guy. I was following and trying to replace him on what is a really good broadcast. Um, mm -hmm. And there was, you know, there was a, a bit of pressure in that. But, you know, with, with how Terry and Tony, uh, our engineer, do things, it, it made it easy. I just need to hold up my end of the bargain. Storylines. You talked about it in game prep. But how often... Do you find storylines and then as the game progresses, 
as you and I know, the game may take you in a totally different direction. And then sometimes it'll take you back to the storylines you're wanting to cover, and sometimes it won't. Sometimes you get a whole bunch of new storylines. So how do you keep yourself sharp for when either the storyline you had in mind that you wanted to cover is there, or when you have to, you know, make a quick adjustment while the game is in progress to the storyline that is in front that is unfolding in front of you? Yeah, I mean it's it's that balancing act, right? I mean it's it's understanding how to weave in what you knew was going to be a storyline before the game into what has become a storyline as the game goes on. And here's how I try to delineate those. First things first, no matter what, there are always two or three storylines that are going to stay the same throughout the broadcast. How a team is doing coming in, what the importance is for each team, both in terms of the standings and in terms of the NCAA tournament or whatever postseason aspirations that they have. Mm -hmm. Those aren't going to change regardless. So what I do on my chart is at the very top, I've got team name, record, and then there's a box on the right. And I always have three things, whether it's they've won five of their last six, scoring 82 points a game. They're one game out of first place in the Big Ten. And say Michigan's beaten Rutgers 12 straight times. So if those aren't changing regardless of what happens, within the course of the game. And the same can be said for trends on the other side. Then, uh, individually, I think a lot of trends stay the same. You can add context to, say, an individual's really big performance. I think about Travion Williams, a kid for Purdue, who went off for, I think it was 36 and 20 against us uh, in, in a game at Chrysler Center in January. Well, we there can be context added to that and okay, well, what were his previous career highs? What were the trends coming into this game? Could this have been seen or is this something that has snapped a recent funk? So the overall team storylines and the individual context to me doesn't really change. That's where the pregame prep comes in is being able to piece those two together. After that, it's about making yourself malleable within the broadcast. It's why, to me, the biggest resource that I can possibly have is stat broadcast. Those live stats, the way they update, the way things are presented, that gives you an opportunity to sprinkle in the context as it's happening in the game and bringing it in and merging it with what is already pre-established as what's happening in the game. And to me, that's why I want to make sure I can focus on my chart and do and, and get information quickly. That's why I bold things. That's why I structure it the way that I structure it. Because I'm trying to mask it similarly to what's happening on that stat monitor. I need to find things quickly. And as the game evolves, it's more about what's happening in that game. The prep that you did beforehand whittles down as the game goes on because you have all this extra information right in front of you. So it's that balance, and it's it's not a perfect science. There's there's never you know there's never two ways to do the same thing. I mean it, it's you have to you have to be flexible. But to me, it's about understanding. Okay, I've got the pre-established things for each team. I've got the pre-established pre-established things for each individual player. After that, I need to be updating myself as the game's going on. 
And that's why that stat monitor is so important. Um, so it, it's, you know, it, it's a delicate balance, man. I mean, it, it's, it's something that um, it comes with practice. It comes with, with getting reps. Um, but for me, it's, it's understanding, okay, how, how can I use this? Because listen, having information is great, but the best broadcasters use information properly. And that to me is, is one of the most unique challenges of what we do. Can you sometimes get yourself in a information Google search wormhole to where you have circuitry overload because you have way too much information and some of it is not going to be needed? And how do you know for you what's relevant and how do you know if you get stuck in a stat wormhole or an informational wormhole for circuitry overload? How do you know the things that you're going to need and how much of it do you know you're not going to need, but you may still need it again when you play this team again, or you may see them if it's a non-conference game and they still make the NCAA tournament and you haven't seen them in about four or five months, but you might see them in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's that delicate, unique balance. The way I look at it is, is, is almost similar to how a writer composes like a big feature or a, you know, a big investigative story. You don't include all the notes you have. You don't include all the quotes you get. So that's why I unpack my prep with getting as much information as possible early and then paring it down once I get close enough to the game where kind of everything's there. I've got both teams' game notes. I've heard from both head coaches. I've heard from players on both sides. I know the trends. I know what happened the previous game. It's about meshing all of that together. For example, talking about the previous game is important for the team, and it might be relevant for certain guys. Say one guy had a career high his previous game. That's something that's probably going to be relevant the next night. Somebody might have gone 0 for 10 from the floor and had his first scoreless game of the season. That's going to be relevant. But if a guy who averages seven points a game scored eight points on three of eight shooting in the previous game, is that really relevant? Can I tell that story differently with just saying he averages seven points a game? So it discernment's so vital in all of this. That's why, to me, it's about starting with as much info as possible and paring it down at the end. And that's why, you know, I could put – I could have put 500 words of information about Xavier Simpson on my chart doing Michigan games last year. I, I could have, but how much of it am I really going to use? It's about piecing it together and putting in different things in different times based on the matchup, the current situations, whatever it might be. But yeah, it's, you can get into that information overload and I think you should early, but as the game gets closer, you need to pare it down. You need to have some semblance of understanding. Okay, yes, there is a circumstance where I might need this, but the odds of me needing these other notes are a heck of a lot more important. So I, I maximize quantity over quality early in my prep, and then I finish with quality over quantity when I put my chart together because I want the best stuff that I can find easily while all the chaos is happening in the game in front of me. How big are you using social media for the broadcast? I know a lot of teams are now <clears throat> with their accounts for their teams for basketball, football, baseball. 
and plus they, you know, have their broadcasters tweet stuff out stat wise, you know, for pregame and everything else. Yeah, social media, I haven't quite, um, I don't know if I've maximized it quite yet in terms of the, the flow of the game. I leaf through it at halftime. I normally post something on my own personal. Yeah, I've, I've seen, I've seen, oh. you know, you've, yeah. po- you've, you've tweeted out a, like a stat thing, even though it doesn't need the actual stat sheet with the screen reader that I use. But I know you put out at least one thing while you're at the half. I don't know if you posted anything post game, but I know you at least a couple of times when I was on Twitter and it, while you were at a game broadcast, I would at least see, you know, something from the first half, like the first half stat or something of that nature. Yeah. I'll, I'll normally put two or three bullet points of just kind of my quick observations and then do a, a screenshot of the, of the stat monitor basically. Um, so I, to me, what's what has been maybe the most eye-opening part of doing the games regularly, those commercial breaks go quickly. I mean, they fly. <laughs> that minute and a half, uh, it, it doesn't go long. So I'm not – unless there's – you know, we had a couple of instances this season where Isaiah Livers left due to injury. Um, in those situations, I'm leafing through Twitter just to see if anybody heard anything or to see if anyone had any observation or if, if I missed something. But mm-hmm. normally – I'm spending my my media timeouts going through the stat monitor and going through my chart just to see, okay, so-and-so's got eight points. What, what, how is he playing coming in? I, I, you know, one of those things, like, I think he was struggling coming in. Yes, there's the number, boom. So I'm, I'm formulating how I want to tee up Terry out of the timeout and what are some of the current stats that are happening. So I have not, I have not been able to figure out a way to squeeze Twitter in in a quick scan because uh, with my luck, I'd see some other random tweets, you know, of the, you know, what I missed over the last five hours or something and something that doesn't really, you know, is irrelevant to the broadcast. Um, but yeah, I, I don't use it a ton during the flow of the game, certainly afterward. Um, you know, I, Michigan's really fortunate to have a lot of really good beat writers and, mm-hmm. and you know, folks on, you know, commentary and opinion up here that, um, you know, that allow me to, you know, really take their stories and, and add it to my research. But in the flow of the game, I'm, I'm normally locked in on my personal prep and then those stat monitors to, to get information to set things up for the next, the next 10 minutes or so of play-by-play. So how were you able to get the Michigan baseball broadcast up and going? So uh, the Michigan baseball thing was very unique. Um, I've only called six Michigan baseball games in my life, and they were the six College World Series games. Um, they Michigan doesn't really have a a school um, a, a network for baseball. Um, the Ann Arbor affiliate, uh, which is a great partner of ours, they'll do some home games. Um, for both baseball and softball. Uh, we're hoping once this is all done with the pandemic to, to, to create a network for baseball and softball. Um, but uh, so there, there, there was no travel that happened with the Michigan baseball team in terms of broadcast. So mm-hmm. um, obviously, you know, they went to the big 10 tournament uh, last season, made a run, got an at large bid, won the uh, regional, went to Los Angeles and beat UCLA in the super regional. 
Um, and, and it wasn't, you know, I was paying attention to it cause I, you know, I like baseball. I like that tournament. Um, obviously, you know, having a, a, a passion for Michigan. And at the time I, I didn't know I was going to be the basketball guy. I was still waiting to see what was going to happen there. Um, so I, uh, <coughs> I remember going to bed shortly after I, I watched that, that super regional game three, uh, that Michigan won at UCLA. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty cool. Like, that's awesome. Um, had, had, had heard really good things about, about Eric Backage, the head coach. Um, so I was like, yeah, good for them. That's great. Went to sleep. I'd actually traveled that weekend. I was, I was back home visiting some friends, um, and family in, in the Cleveland area. Mm-hmm. I wake up the next morning. Um, and I am, I'm in the shower and oh I have my phone on loud just in case there's a phone call or whatever. And you know, this is, this is what June 16th, something like that. Yeah. And right you know, before, right before the start of the college World series, guys, yeah. you know, every, you know, where you're after you get done with the, the super regionals, then, you know, you know, you're going to be paired, you know, your bracket is going to be paired up with somebody else. And, you know, the other bracket is going to be paired up with somebody else. So, you don't know, they're going to be in bracket A or bracket B. You don't know that, but you know, you're going. Yeah, exactly. So I'm not, you know, June as a producer of college sports content isn't super busy. I, and my responsibilities at IMG when I was a producer down there, um, did not really include baseball. I didn't have any baseball schools um, right. that, that had broadcast through our building. We we probably carry 15 baseball broadcasts through the North Carolina building. Yeah, I know. Uh, and Alabama I didn't have any. Was, I didn't, Bama was one of, well, Bama was on Learfield, and now it's Learfield IMG. So Bama's car- Bama carries theirs. Kansas State will have theirs from time to time. I think Kansas does with Haney, I think. I know Oregon State does. And I know yeah, Oregon we- does. We had a lot of we had a lot of, of SEC schools come through, um, but not many. So no. I'm not I'm not su- I wasn't super busy in June, but I'm in the shower, and I got like four or five emails in a row, and I just thought that's kind of weird. Like, like that's why? like why? Yeah, what's going on? <laughs> I, I I get it if there's a text or whatever. Like okay, you know I'm in a group thread or something, and somebody's rattle them off. Sure, I got four or five emails. So I get out open it up and basically within about five seconds I realized oh wow they want me to go call the college world series um it was important to the to the school uh to have a radio broadcast of that um and just you know they were asking for some suggestions from uh my boss and then the the GM up here um Ron Melnick uh who who handles all of the uh, who handles all of the the sales and the marketing aspects of, you know, the relationship between our company and, and the university. And, you know, they just realized, okay, well, Brian's called all this baseball and he did it, you know, he, he just filled in for us in a postseason situation three months prior with, with the basketball team. So Brian, can you do this? And, you know, it, it was interesting too, because, you know, as much as I knew that as, as confident as I was that I made the right decision to leave minor league baseball, to come to IMG full time, mm-hmm. I still left baseball without really feeling like I had the type of closure that is, that is desired, right? Like if you work in minor league baseball, your goal is to make the major leagues. Obviously that doesn't happen for a lot of people, right. but you still, you wish you could have, 
whether it's, you know, I never had a chance to call a championship or, or at least the playoffs, maybe like you didn't, I didn't have a moment where I was like, man, like I, I did all this broadcasting and it culminated in this call or this moment or this, Mm -hmm. there were great, I, I had a blast. I met so many cool people. I got to call so many cool games, but there wasn't that like, oh, okay. All that work built up to this. To this. Mm-hmm. And that's what this trip ended up being. So felt like unfinished business. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, you know, and that's, and that's just in a vacuum. Like I didn't treat it like it was an I, me, my thing. Like I, I, you know, it was very important for me yep. to, you know, to try to be, try to tell the story of a season, even though I hadn't been there for that season. Um, and fortunately, um, Coach Backage and his staff, his players were great. They, they, you know, were very welcoming to me and to all the extra media attention that they had. Um, they really embraced it. And yeah, so Monday at 9 a.m., um, I was pretty sure I was going to be, you know, calling the College World Series. And um, I left winston tuesday i drove just based on the fact that you know my thought is well shoot if we get eliminated the same day as a couple of you know a couple of other teams there's gonna be a lot of people trying to fly out of the omaha airport mm-hmm. the next day I, I you know i may as well just fly with the team so that I'm, I'm i know when i can get back to north carolina um so go up tuesday night drive as far as i can stay somewhere get drive the rest of the way wednesday get on the charter flight Wednesday afternoon. So what, probably 55 hours after I found out I was calling the college world series, I was in my hotel in Omaha going, Oh, okay. This is real. Um, and then the first broadcast was Saturday at one o'clock. Um, they beat Texas tech two night, two days later, they, they beat Florida state, uh, three days after that, they beat Texas tech and they're in the championship series. I mean, it was, and I believe that was a Saturday. Or was it a Friday? No, it was a Friday. It was a Friday. Yeah, the the, the second one over Texas Tech was a Friday, and um, yeah, it was. And then because Arkansas you know, got because Arkansas got bounced, I think they were two in barbecue. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, I think they got bounced out by Florida State twice. Uh, they I lost think. Florida State, and then they lost to Texas Tech. Yeah, yeah, it was Texas Tech. Yep. Then Texas Tech had to come out of the come out of the losers bracket. To, yeah, and then Get we beat Texas Tech, and, and then Vanderbilt. Um, Vanderbilt swept its its side, and um, you know it's funny. Uh, I I had called the um, the SEC baseball tournament. I was one of the members of the IMG crew for the baseball tournament in Hoover, Alabama. I'm trying so, to think who. I'm trying to think were you on the morning crew or the night session? Because I know sometimes they would ro- they would rotate. Guys, for the morning yeah, session. I was, I was on the, the night, night session. session, so we had the uh, we had the 16 inning LSU Mississippi State game, uh, where we were there. I think it ended at like 3:15 Central Time, something um, like that. It was that was pretty awesome. Once it was over, it was a little tiring in the in the middle of it. But who were you um, working with? Was it? It wasn't Chasnow, was it? No, because no, Chasnow was at Washington State at that point. Yeah, yeah, Phil Brame, who's yeah, it was Phil Brame. one of my favorite people in the industry, and we were. We were alternating. Uh, we were alternating innings at that point, and just—I mean, it was—it was a blast. Just joking around with him, going. It's funny too, because like you don't—you don't think, boy, in Hoover, Alabama, it might get cold. 
But at two in the morning, it's a little <laughs> chilly when it's, you know, 105 degrees in the middle of the day. You, you're kind of kind of desensitized to it a little bit. You, sure. you know, the higher temperatures are still a little chillier when it gets to be, you know, a little breezy at 2 a.m. But, uh, but yeah, so when, when on the, you know, the Michigan Vanderbilt series, I had called more Vanderbilt games than Michigan games, um, which was pretty unique. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, for me, that was, um, it, it meant a lot. I mean, the, the, this, this whole stretch of, of coming up here and, and getting a chance to do the Michigan games for men's basketball, I mean, that's, you know, I, I appreciate that opportunity more than, than anything in my career. But the baseball, just because of how it happened and how quickly it happened, and then how impactful their run was, how close they got, how much they impressed as a Big Ten team in college baseball, um, and just the fact that I had, you know, I, I basically made the decision. I was going to move on in my career without getting, you know, the guarantee of, of ever doing a, you know, a, a baseball game that matters. Um, so to be able to do six um, – and to do it with that team in that environment, it was, um, I'll never forget that. I will never, ever forget that. Yeah, how, did, how was the broadcast set up? Because how did you, when you knew you were calling the games, how did the, like, broadcast get set up since they probably didn't, since they didn't have a baseball log at all, most likely? Yeah, so that was basically Monday um, when I when I got that call. That was the the plan. So um, you know the IMG crew up here in Ann Arbor, um, you know they sold a few spots and and figured out you know how to piece everything together with bonuses and promos the for the rest of the broadcast. And you know I, I worked with you know a few other producers down there to to put it together in our computer system in Winston. Um, our head engineer got uh, a kit set up for me with a board and headsets and, you know, um, everything and access, everything I needed to, to put the broadcast together. And then it was, you know, once Tuesday night hit, I had my, my one suitcase and my, my crate of broadcast gear. And it was, it was on me. I mean, we had a studio host, um, in there just board hopping for me, but it was a solo broadcast, um, me the whole way. And, um, fortunately, like what, what's, what's amazing is, um, as I've learned through that college world series experience, and then going to the NCAA tournament, um, the NCAA knows how to hold these events. It's, it's so organized. Everything is mapped out almost by the minute. Uh, they, they do a, a heck of a job and that, you know, it, it's one thing to, to invade a city for four days, five days, you know, and, and do what, six college basketball games. Yeah. It's another thing to, to where 15 of, days. Yeah. Yeah. I was in Omaha for 15 days. That was, I mean, that is such from, from the opening ceremonies on Friday. Yep. Through the championship series, you know, almost two weeks later. I mean, it is. It, two weeks in a day. If you want yeah, another truth about it, because it, it you know, from the opening ceremony. Teams get their Wednesday. So yeah, yeah, it is a two week stretch. But they know how to do it. They, they, it's so well run. It's so organized. Um, so, you know, obviously, I mean, I, I, there were some nerves to it of, you know, you want to make sure everything goes right. But um, with, with the team that we have 
at IMG and with with the setup with the NCAA, it you know it, it was it was pretty easy once once I got there. So you said you're going so once this pandemic and stuff ends, how do you think the network will come forward with the Michigan baseball broadcast since you did them at the College World Series? What's the long term plan for the Michigan baseball broadcasts. Yeah, I, I don't know exactly what it is. What we had talked about was trying to do a baseball softball combo package. We're, we're basically just trying to do as many uh, home games for, for baseball and softball as we could just to kind of start it there and see how well it would sell, what, you know, what type of listenership we would get. Um, and then, you know, hopefully try to, you know, to, to travel for, for any sort of, you know, postseason opportunity for the programs. Um, so that's still, I mean, unfortunately with all this, I mean, there, there are a lot of moving parts for, for every company, for every school, for every program. Um, you know, we just, we all need to get through this and get through it safe and get through it, um, mm -hmm. you know, to where um, we can have college sports back the way we remember them. But yeah, I mean, the goal is to, more than anything else, we just want to give them a, an extra platform. Um, for both baseball and softball, because it, you know, both are popular up here. Um, it's, it's an opportunity to, uh, you know, to give them another layer of, of um, coverage of coverage. And yeah, exactly. And, and see what do you happens. Think, do you there. think you'll be the lead broadcaster for baseball or you think they may have you, depending on how far you go with the basketball team, have you do both football, softball and baseball depending on what the schedule is yeah I think the plan would be um you know if both were to be at home we would just pick one or maybe alternate like do you know say you know baseball's got a Friday Saturday Sunday series maybe softball's got a Friday Saturday double header um you know Friday one game Saturday double header maybe we do baseball Friday Sunday and the double header for softball Saturday um in terms of what, what I would like to have happen is is to have you know me and then you know, involve some of the folks at, at uh, WTKA who have been doing some of the games before, try to, to make sure that they have a role on there in some way, shape, or form. So, um, you know, obviously that those are logistics that, you know, we, we kind of need to work out. But, but yeah, I mean, listen, I, I've called a little bit of softball. I love calling softball. Obviously, I love calling baseball, or I wouldn't have called a thousand games of it. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, that would be pretty cool. Because regardless, I mean – it's it's an opportunity to showcase two programs that have done a lot of great things. I mean, the softball, you know, softball has been better than baseball up here uh, by a pretty wide margin over the last, you know, a few decades with what Carol Hutchins has done. So, um, you know, having a chance to showcase, you know, both those programs would be, to me, that that's an ideal setup. So back to baskets for a second. What do you feel like your strengths have become as the lead broadcaster? And what do you feel like you're still working on as, as you keep growing as the lead broadcaster for Michigan Hoops? Well, I mean, I, I think from a strength perspective, it's, it's what I've leaned upon throughout my career. And that's just having a passion and having a work ethic to make the broadcasts sound as, as, as great as they can. Um, 
regardless of what happens on the floor. Um, I can't control that. Terry can't control that. Uh, nope. We want to try to bring a good product to our listeners, to the fans of the program, um, and also try to find a way to, to, to make it resonate after the fact. It's something we've done with football um, by having that, that podcast that we've done. Um, love to do something similar along those lines in, in basketball too down the road. Um, but ultimately, you know, how I feel my job, you know, fits into this puzzle is just by being a good representative of the school and of the program. Uh, and if I can do that while putting together a good broadcast, one that, you know, is, is informative, is fun, is entertaining, um, that, that's my job. Uh, in terms of, of what I need to work on, uh, listen, I think it's everything. I think we all need to work on, uh, on our broadcast. But for me, it's, it's about, you know, continuing to, to get to know the past and the present of this program. It's one that is steeped in tradition. It's one that is, I mean, I, I have to pinch myself when, you know, when I go into that, in that arena um, for all the great teams and the great players that have played there. Um, you know, I, I don't think I'll ever be satisfied with how my broadcasts are. It's, it's about, it's about being uh, a representative of the school. And man, I mean, this is a program and an institution that is at the highest of levels in everything, academics, athletics, community involvement. Um, you know, for me, if I ever, if I ever feel satisfied with my broadcast, then I'm, I'm in trouble because that's, that's where, that's where it can go downhill. So, um, you know, better word, better word via variety, um, you know, more impactful prep, um, stuff like that. I mean, that for me is, is, is going to be important. Finally, since you mentioned the podcast, whose idea was it to come up with the idea of the podcast with you and John Jansen? Uh, it was a lot of John. It was a lot of the school. It was a lot of IMG. Um, and <clears throat> it'd been something that was in the works for a little while, but, um, you know, kind of how it's evolved has mostly just been John and me, um, you know, and really John, I mean, he's, you know, his passion is, is very similar to, to Terry Mills when it comes to the, you know, for John football, for Terry basketball. Um, I mean, it is, uh, it's, it's pretty incredible. And, and, you know, what's really cool is not many schools can say, hey, we've got a national champion on our football and on our men's basketball broadcasts. And that's that what Michigan true. has. I mean, that's, that's pretty special. Um, it's pretty stout company. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and, you know, so it, it was just an idea to, again, to promote the program, to do it in a way that reaches, you know, another layer of people. Um, we all digest media differently. Uh, some want it, you know, some want it on social media, some want it on TV, some want it on radio, some want it on podcast. And, and this is a way to do it. So it's, it's evolved. It's expanded. It's grown. Um, and, uh, I was, I was honored. This was, they, they asked me to, to help produce it before I, you know, before I even filled in on a, a basketball broadcast, I was doing some hosting, but, but that was kind of the first step of not just the company, but, but the university of Michigan of, of kind of giving me something that was more than just the hosting spot. They, they empowered me, they trusted me. Um, and, you know, I think what, you know, what we as broadcasters have to do is we have to realize that we are a reflection of the school 
for whom we broadcast. And when we are in that situation of, you know, being like, I'm wearing the block M I'm, you know, talking about Michigan football or Michigan basketball. Mm -hmm. um, that is an extension. I am an extension of the university to whoever is listening to that. Same for John, for Terry, for Jim Brandsatter, and the list goes on. Um, and, and, you know, finding a way for me, it's always been about how can we get more of what people want to them? And that is, is very similar to what the, the goal of the podcast was. And, and because of that, I'm, I'm really proud to be a part of that. Ryan, this has been a blast. I know we went all around the world in 80 days, but that's what makes a good podcast. Thank you for the time. And hopefully next time we get a chance to do another one of these, we actually have games to talk about. Hopefully. Yeah, no doubt, Luther. Pleasure to be with you, man. I, I love what you've been putting together. I'm glad to have uh, made a connection with you and uh, looking forward to seeing where this podcast takes you. Well, like I've told people before, my goal should be the first, and as long as I can use this and what I'm working on and hopefully going to try to add to, hopefully both of these vehicles will get me to where I want to go as my penultimate. No doubt, man. Well, good luck. Keep climbing, man. Keep grinding. You know, I, you know, hopefully I can, hopefully I've referred to my voice diction, hopefully a little bit, even though I was kind of... <laughs> I know it probably wasn't the best in the world, but you know, we got it done. Yeah. I mean, listen, it's, it's, you know, um, I think we all have, we all have that challenge when we just get started in this, in this business of, of knowing the proper inflection points. And, and that's, you know, for me, yeah, what, I know that's what you, that's you, that's what you told me. Cause I'm still trying to, <clears throat> The way that the way that helped me in, in doing that is is I listen to the guys who I really really respect, and I just try to see how and just listen to how they how they incorporate various tones into certain circumstances. So you know it, it's difficult it's difficult to say hey just do this. I think a lot of of learning on that aspect is just listening to people who you enjoy to listen to, and and just kind of hearing how they do it and trying to implement it in that style. And that and that's easier said than done. Um, but for me, that's just listening to people who I really respect and, and enjoy. That helps me kind of pluck ideas from them. The, there's a couple of games, the Maple Grove Marshall County game. Did I give, if you can go back and listen to it and just give me, did I give enough energy and on the Hume Fog Maplewood boys third place game, I always still have trepidation on the final shot. Did I give Hume Fog the credit for making the shot that they deserved instead of just sounding all dejected that Maplewood didn't win the game? And those are basically the two games. I mean, so, I feel like so I did a good job on them. But you're broadcasting for that school, though. It's not a neutral broadcast, right? Well, yeah, but again, I don't. I'm not gonna do like what everybody else is. I'm like, oh, that was a terrible. No, I can't do that. No, because no. I, you know, I want to put. Even though I'm doing the game for Maplewood, and I want Maplewood boys and girls and football to win. Also, want to try to give. I want to at least give 
that school that maybe doesn't have a broadcast and I might be the only one that they get a chance to listen to. Mm-hmm. I want to what sure I would that- say to that, what I would say to that, listen, you're totally right. The way that I've and I, always... And I, do, and I just want to be sure if you can go back. I don't know if you still have the broadcast link or not, but it was third place game. It was the final. It was a final possession for Hume Fogg. And I remember we had just, maybe would have just tied the game. And I just wanted to be sure because I, you know, because when you're just going and going and going and doing as many games as you can, plus when it's a, it's a tournament setting and you know what's at stake and, you know, if you do this and luckily we didn't have, and luckily neither team had to play. Well, actually, wait a minute. No, I take that back. Maplewood did have to play the quarterfinal. And that one went, that one went extra time. And I could tell then that when you've done so many games that you're kind of running ragged a little bit. Yeah, for sure. What what I will say to your your concept about um, you know making sure that the other team is represented, I think I think in what we say, we should be unbiased in terms of how we present information, in terms of you know how we interpret various calls or plays or circumstances. Because I, I, I always cringe for me that game in particular, that final possession I mean I felt like I gave it everything I had without screaming yeah but I, I still I mean, but I still felt like this is just me mm-hmm. that's broadcast you showed the blind so I can't see the floor the folks at Hume Fog on their side were going bonkers the Maplewood folks are going nuts and I'm like okay in my head and in my headsets, I know I felt like I gave it a good call. But that's why I always ask, you know, the broadcasters who've done this for a minute to go back and listen to see if I, you know, particular games, I can now go back and ask them for, see if I gave those two games the justice they deserved and the call that they deserved. I'm asking if you still have the link, if you can go back and listen to those two games. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you, why don't you resend them? Cause when I, cause I did get temporarily furloughed. Um, so a lot of my emails got wiped out. Send me the links again, if you could, and I'll take a listen at some point this week. It's the Maplewood Marshall County girls, or if you even want to go Maplewood Westmoreland, you can do that, but I'm just going to, I'm just going to warn you. That since I'm basically a one-man band here, the yeah, crowd sure. may be overwhelming. Sure, sure, yeah. Oh, I get that. And I'm definitely going to try to work on and improve that with my audio yeah, guy if I, ever, if I ever get in touch with him. There are unique challenges to the audio quality at the high school level. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's going to be, that's understood. I mean, I, you know, I'm just like, okay, how can I be sure that, Those games, now that I think about it, Maplewood Marshall County Substate Qualifier, Girls Championship game, Maplewood Westmoreland, and the third place game for the District 10 boys side of the tournament with Maplewood Hume Fog, fourth quarter, last play. 
those are basically the three games that I really kind of got concerned with. Sure. Because two of them were like major state games where if they won them, you know, this would happen. And, you know, if they lost, you know, they would still play, but they would have to travel. And luckily we didn't have to travel anywhere. Mm-hmm. Thank God for that. Huh. I just want to make sure that those three games, I gave those calls and gave the broadcast what they were supposed to be. Well, hey, listen, you're going to, you're not going to always be in love with how you handle things, but if you put in the right amount of work and if you put in the right amount of passion, it, it, it's going to come across in people. You, you're not going to execute things as perfectly as you want. Especially because I, I was really at the end of that game when I was putting my stuff away and after I was archiving and saving the game for upload purposes, I'm like, I know I did not do I know I did not put that BS out there for the world to hear on that last shot. Yeah, well, I know I did not. Hey, you know what? You, um, like I said, man, if if you put in the type of energy and effort into this, like that, that carries you a long way. So I, I'm, I'm sure it was fine, man. But yeah, send me the link and I'll, uh, I'll take, I'll, I'll take a listen to the end and see what I think. Do you, you want me to tell you the games that I'm looking for? Yeah. Put that in the email if you could, that'd be great. I'll do that. Awesome. Well, Luther, man, it was a pleasure. Um, Anything I can ever do, just let me know, all right? Thank you, sir. Appreciate it.